It's time for the Juice Box Junkies, an independent Houston Astros podcast. All Astros, all the time. Astros news, analysis, and opinions right here on the Juice Box Junkies. Episode 6 of the podcast is up and live. It's the Juice Box Junkies, Marty Coleman, Brian Dunleavy, Matt Conklin, Christian Espinosa. Fellas, how's it going today? Good. 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 Yeah. No baseball yet, but it's going as good as it could get otherwise. I was going to say, has anybody else spent the night crying or consoling a 15-year-old? Like, you know, he came home yesterday from school, which – is about the time that Manfred put his face on TV and not happy, not happy. I'm questioning my father's skills because there's a few choice words from a 15 year old <laughs> that, uh, that wasn't expecting, but I guess that's a good place to start the lockout. Christian, you wrote about the lockout today for climbing towels Hill, where we all write and we'd appreciate whoever listens to this to go check it out. But you wrote about uh, the lockout today and some of the reactions. So why don't you start us off with your thoughts? Yeah, so obviously the big news is that uh, there was a deadline uh, that kind of implemented by the ownership uh, group and and Manfred to come up with a deal. Um, It was yesterday, March 1st, uh, Tuesday at around 5 p.m. Eastern time. And um I think the MLB submitted its what they are calling or what they called their quote final and best offer at around three thirty, and then um, I think after taking a look at this, the the players' union decided, uh, yeah, they weren't they weren't going to be able to make that deadline happen, and so uh, Mr. Manfred, in all of his infinite wisdom, has decided to cancel the first two series of the game of the season, which is I think six games or so, which. For the Astros, that's the uh, two opening series there in Houston at Minute Maid uh, against the Phillies and the New York Yankees. So we're already slated to miss some games, unfortunately. Um, the league and a league and the players are still still large chasm separating them on three big issues: um, the competitive uh, balance tax, uh, league's minimum salaries, and then the size of. Uh, arbitration player or pre-arbitration player bonus pool. So uh, really the, the, the players are looking to, to kind of protect the young players and, and sort of some of the, the, the guys who aren't at the upper echelons of the pay scale and, and some, um, and try to get to negotiate some um, protection with uh, service time manipulation and things like that. And the owners obviously just want more money. So, uh, and they don't want to give it up. And so I think we're still at a standstill as of what I heard last is there was nothing scheduled for them to even meet. Um, the owners uh, have been kind of manipulating, trying to do their best to manipulate the story, I think, in in the media a little bit. Um, you know, the night before the deadline, everyone was really – the league was very optimistic that there was a path to a deal, and all of a sudden their tune changed the next day. The players' union issued a communication or a statement on Twitter that says we were nowhere close, no matter at any point. 
so there seems to be some uh, already, you know, some finger pointing and stuff like that as well. But yeah, I, I as far as thoughts go, I mean, I, I don't really know, you know, what's going to take to to for who to who's going to come, who's going to break first. Um, the owners are willing to miss a few games, but I don't think they're willing to miss a ton of games. And obviously, players um, want to get paid. Uh, this this not this canceling games already creates another set of issues that needs to be negotiated as well. Um, that what are we going to do about salaries for this season? Because now we've canceled six games. Do we prorate it? Do we? Manfred said, "Well, we're canceling games, and games aren't played. Players aren't being paid." So. There's already a hard line stance there. Um, I don't know. It took the owners 43 days to to issue its first proposal. I think we're at 91 days since the lockout or somewhere right around there. So I, I, I think we better be prepared for another set of games being canceled as well. So, Well, here's the thing. Uh, you brought it up that uh, this sets up a whole new – this brings up a whole – the cancellation of games brings up a whole new set of problems. So what are the Astros, Astros going to do now? Are they going to have uh, 75 home games and 81 road games? Are they, you know, so, is a road series now going to become a home series to make it 78 to 78? And that all assumes the 156 games. What if they miss more than that? It just brings up all kinds of uh, additional problems that, like they didn't have enough problems already, right? And I also saw that some of the players were, as you said, they weren't even close. They were, they were saying, "Wait a second. And and Manfred didn't even answer the question. One of the questions was was about why why did nothing happen? And all of a sudden, uh, the last two days have been you know busy, busy, busy. And he just hemmed and hawed around it, and basically said that's that's what happens in negotiations. It didn't have to though, right? It didn't have to." The, the owners have lost the the war of words and the the, um, the battle of social media, in my estimation. I still don't think they're 100% at fault, but they're probably like 98 in my mind right now, right? When you see what they're doing and how they're approaching this, it's like they don't even want to play. I sound like my son now, <laughs> who yeah, believes I mean, the, the owners don't want to play. That's the thing is like if, if you speak specifically to the Astros, they're – the union rep is Lance McCullers Jr. And he's he got on Twitter a little fiery, and I think he's already deleted his account. Uh, it, it was, I think the quote was something like, "They walked out on us in Dallas. Uh, they locked out the t- you know locked out the players. Took them six weeks to get a proposal together. Takes weeks at a time to to respond to proposals. You know, I think in his sentiment was that." the league and the player or the league and the owners don't really care about the fans or the baseball or the game. And I just making an implying that they care about money. (laughs) And he was, he said, it's exhausting. And so uh, he had some other choice words too, but that's generally, you know, and I think he's since deleted that his account or deactivated or whatever, but clearly the players are, are pretty frustrated too. Yeah. He was getting some pushback from some fans. Um, Yesterday, so maybe that's why his count ended up being deleted. Matt Conkle, your observations and thoughts on the lockout as we uh, are going to miss baseball. I mean, we, we kind of called this a couple episodes ago. We thought we we're going to miss some time. I mean, I think we were trying to be pessimistic with a with a glass of whiskey in our hands. It turns out we were right. Um, yeah, I. 
just hearing what's going on, I you know I side mostly with the players. I think most people do. I I think what they're pushing for is protecting the the younger players and the players that aren't on the high end of the pay scale. And I like what they're doing to try to incentivize winning. You know, stuff with the draft, service time, uh, minimum salary. But um, we saw the chasm a month and a half ago, and this really hasn't gotten any closer. So I think we're going to miss more. Um, I, I I guess I'll, I'll take a I'll take a hot take side, and I'll just jump on the owner's side just just briefly. Uh, over the weekend, someone posted a, a picture of a 10k uh, showing a, a ball team, a ball club's revenues, and saying, "Hey, they make money all the time. You know, why are they not why are they not conceding some help for the players?" And you know, my my thing is, first of all. That was uh, intentionally misleading, although I do respect the guy that posted it. That was intentionally misleading, and I, I think everyone on Twitter um, was feeling it too. Um, but if you look at uh, – I, I, I just looked at the Forbes uh, franchise valuation list, top 50 in, in the world. And if you look at it, there's 27 NFL teams. There's 11 NBA teams and there's six MLB teams, and they look at they look at uh, the valuation, net operating income of the whole deal. You know, they they got guys that are, that are great at that. And there's only six MLB teams, and it's you know your usual suspects: Dodgers, Yankees, Cubs, Red Sox. And then I was like, and then I said, hey, I'm gonna look at you know, what I can on the NBA side, and I, and I just I I pulled this out, and I just I felt like sharing this today. I was looking at the net. The net incomes of some of these some of these NBA franchises that are high in valuation for last year, the LA Lakers with LeBron James, sixty million last year. Not a whole lot, right? The Milwaukee Bucks, they won the championship. Their net their operating income last year, nine million. The Phoenix Suns, they they made the finals, eleven million. The Memphis Grizzlies, they have a future MVP in John Morant, eleven million. So I and I, I think what I'm trying to say is I, I understand, I, I side with the players, and I want, I want them to concede some more. It doesn't look like they want to play. It looks like they want to sit on their bags of money, but they're not all like that. I, I, think, I think we have to be a little more realistic at where the sport is. We're not as big as the NFL or the NBA. We don't have, we don't have the, the TV deal is nice, but not, it's not what the NBA is getting. We don't have the international appeal of what the NBA is getting, or even the, or even the NFL now. So I think I think us fans are right to be frustrated, but I think we got to have a little more perspective on where our frustrations are, other than just hey, the owners are sitting on a bag of money and they don't want to give uh, the fans games and the players money. I, I think it's a little more complicated than that. Absolutely, it's more complicated than that. And Christian pointed that out on Twitter uh, a few days ago. Uh, who was it? Was it Passan or a person that just posted one number and said, you know, here's the rich. This, this, this proves my point. I'm like, uh, you're trying to prove a point about billion dollar organizations with one number is completely ridiculous and one sided. And I'll take a little bit of side on the owners too. The one thing I don't agree with what the players are doing and saying is they're saying, Hey, we got screwed on the last two, I think it's two, um, yep. deals. So 
we're not getting screwed this time. Well, that's not the owner's fault that you got screwed. So you can say that and you can say, I want $300 million for whatever. And that doesn't mean that's realistic. I'm sorry you got screwed. You signed the deal. I saw your face, Matt Conkle. Um, Agree or disagree? It's not the owner's fault the players got screwed. No. Yeah. Okay. Brian, we haven't (laughs) heard from you yet on this topic. Uh, What's your take on the current situation for the lockout? My hot take is going to be the hybrid, uh, uh, I think, of all of it. And and so – kind of living in the mushy middle, but the, I think the number one, and we all express this, and especially you, Marty, more than us, I think the number one person hurt by all this is are, are the fans. That's it. There's nobody else that is suffering more than the fans are because in the end, there's going to be a deal. The owners are going to get their money. The players are going to get their money. And who loses out? The fans. We lose out on, on games, on seasons, perhaps. Uh, we were just talking about, you know, before we got on here about Verlander. Might, this might be his last season as an Astro. Well, we're mis- missing out on some Verlander starts and some Verlander time, um, mm-hmm. you know, as as a fan base. So I think that's the number one thing. I, and the other thing I really don't get is is why, and, and I do agree with the players on this side, that, that why it takes so long for the owners to get back to them. I, I don't, that doesn't make any sense. It seems like they're in the back room with their cigars, plotting, and how we can make sure that we squeeze any every penny out of it, um, and then on the on the flip side, you know, it, it seems like the, the the players, you know, they obviously they all, they want more money. That's the number one issue. They all want more money. But it seems like if they really both sides were genuine and they were focused on getting the deal done and hitting each topic and 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 coming to an agreement, they would have. They would have come to an agreement. At least it looked like they were pretty close. I just saw this the number. It seemed like the the league minimum they were pretty close on. You know, I mean, they went from six seventy five up to seven hundred thousand a year, and the players were saying seven twenty five as as the league minimum, and going up twenty k a year, and and with the owners going up ten k a year. That's at least that's some movement. So I get, I, I'll bring a little ray of hope that there was one category that they were closer on and they, they, they got, you know, close to a deal. But, you know, for me, I would have said, let's sit down. Let's, let's, let's come to an agreement on this one thing, push that away so we can focus on the other ones. You know, let's, let's negotiate that whole league minimum. I think, I mean, Everybody in this in this um, you know podcast and, and whatnot, none of us are sitting anywhere near 700k a year, and that's for the worst player in the league gets 700k a year. So I mean, you think about it that way, uh, yeah, it's going to look bad if the players can't agree to 700k as the as the league minimum and and you know going up ten thousand dollars a year. The players look bad on that spot. I I totally agree. The the owners went up on that, so the owners to their their defense. That should have been agreed upon. That should have that should have been finalized. There should have been some progress. It should have been said, you know, we did we got one thing done. Now we have all these other categories we still have to iron out, but we got one thing out of the way, so we're one step closer. That that absolutely and Manfred should have been front and center with that and saying, Hey, we're close on this, let's get it done. 
Yeah, it's almost like it's an all or nothing deal, right? We, we have to right. agree on everything or we're not going to agree on anything, which is kind of crazy when things are so complicated um, to expect everything to be done in a day. I almost got the feeling that the owners yesterday that they didn't want a deal. Um, you know, right. there were players on social media today or yesterday saying they changed it on us, right? They made us think they were telling everybody they were close. Then they come back and say, we changed our stance when we didn't change anything. They, they changed the, uh, they changed the, the verbiage in the, in the contract on that last, when they gave their last offer, they changed stuff. They expected the players to accept it. And that's, it's, you know, that's not the way to negotiate either. So Mm-mm. I don't know. I guess we could beat this to death and uh, I think we're going to have a little while to, to talk about this. So let's move on and actually talk about some players and some baseball Today's minor league we're going to talk about is Corey Lee. Brian, you've done some uh, research and uh, on Corey Lee, and let's hear your take on Corey Lee. Hopefully the future of the Astros catching position. Yeah, I think the, the future looks bright for him. Um, you know, he he is a – an outstanding um, and quick rising prospect in the Astros system. He has, um, you know, he's only been, um, you know, for the Astros. He's, he's, he just got the number one prospect for the Astros. Let's say that, but he's, but he was voted this year by baseball America as number 70 for, you know, preseason rankings for prospects. Uh, So number 70 in the MLB. And I think that, is definitely partially biased too because that that also is based on his position at, at, at the catcher position. They're always going to rank the big home run hitters and the big time pitchers ahead of catchers, and, that, and that's just because of stats and, and that sort of thing. So you know, with that said, um, you know, coming out in 2019, first round um, uh, selection, and he looks like he's got all the the the, the parts in 2021. Um, he went, you know, all the way up, you know, the, the whole ladder from A plus to triple A by the end of the season and, um, you know, put together a solid season. Um, he's not going to be certainly he's not going to be the, the top hitting catcher in the league, but we don't need that. Um, and and, I, and I'm actually working on a piece right now for climbing Style Hill, um, you know, trying to see about the future and should Corey Lee be on the Astros roster this whole season, as opposed to just doing some work in the minor leagues and getting ready again. And and my argument is 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 pretty simple. If you look at at you know Machete's uh, season, his average, his production, he's a fantastic um, you know pitch caller. The the pitchers like him, and he has a great defensive skill set. Offensively, he adds absolutely nothing. Zero. I mean, he's, he's below the Mendoza line. I mean, he is there. It's just, it's just not good, you know, for him. So if you get any production out of him, so last season, just going through Corey Lee's stats real quick, last, you know, the three teams combined 11 home runs, 45 RBIs, 277 average, four, 438 slugging percentage, um, 778 OPS. Uh, that's going to at least get you some production where he's not going to be the anchor at the bottom of the lineup. Like, 
like Maldonado is, has been, and and it was you know it's a it's a compromise. You, you you sacrifice offense for the great pitch calling and the and the camaraderie with the pitchers and the defense that he brings, but you obviously lose out um, once it gets to his his name in the lineup. Um, and even I was I was rooting for him because he would even Maldonado would even surprise in the playoffs and hit some some home run you know, some clutch home run in the seventh inning where you need it. And it's like, they're in the bottom of the lineup and a pitcher just grooves them on and he, and he cranks it. And that never materialized this postseason either. And I'm just like, man, um, I think Maldonado, I think he's, I think he's towards the end of his career. I think it'd be a great thing if Corey Lee. Um, and again, this is, and this is what I wrote about the first time when I wrote about him as one of our prospects. Um, he's the, he is the number one guy hurt by no spring training because because if he had a fantastic spring training, he would be on the roster guaranteed. There wouldn't be a question. Uh, we wouldn't have to debate it. He'd be the guy. He'd be there. Um, you're not going to have Max Stasi or, or Jason Castro there. You're going to have Corey Lee there. That's not even a question. And Corey Lee will platoon with Maldonado. Um, I and I and I would guess um, that you know the top two pitchers might have Maldonado, but the bottom three they could prefer Corey Lee because they're going to be with him longer. And that, and it could be an easy split that way, um, but you know we'll see uh, the way it goes and and how it goes. I think he's at least good for Maldonado's off days to be the backup catcher to play, you know, forty games or who knows how many games we're going to play. But on a regular season, forty games in, in the in the major leagues, and maybe getting some more time in September. You know, when when Maldonado needs to rest more because he's got the older knees and you know everything like that. So I think. I think that would be the best place for him. I understand keeping him down to get get time and get innings and that sort of thing, but I think if he can, if he could have a season catching Verlander, even if it's just bullpens, I think that will do a lot more for his career than than hanging out in AAA. It's always a trade off, like you said, uh, giving up the defense uh, for the offense, and I don't think the Astros needed to last year, but Carlos Correa was in that lineup. So if you take out the big bat of Correa you may need a little more from the bottom of the lineup. Christian, if I remember correctly, you were a catcher back in the day. Do you have any thoughts on Corey Lee? Yeah, I think uh, the defense, I don't think it, it, he's, he's making strides. And so there's, there's the video from, from last October of him uh, throwing, throwing somebody out there in, in triple a, um, you know, he, he's, he's, made some changes. I think Astros coaches have asked him to, to use the one, one knee catching to help quicken some of the, the release on his throws. Um, it sounds like they've shortened up his arm stroke. So he's going, you know, cocking back, holding the ball behind his ear and just firing it all one nice clean motion. And so he's already has a, a pretty strong arm, what I would call a, a plus arm. And so you know, I think he threw out 43% of his base runners in 2021. And that's pretty solid for, for him. And, uh, you know, obviously he's, he's going to learn, um, you know, s- s- the pitchers and things over time and, and just how to manage a game generally. Um, and that comes with game experience. You know, I think I, I think I could see a, a spot for him in Houston, uh, you know, on the roster, but I also could see where, you know, just having a, a, a full time in AAA to, to learn through, go through game situations, work with coaches, 
you know, Corey Lee moved to Houston this winter um, with, I think, believe his girlfriend and him moved here. And he said this is the first time that he's been able to be in one location, train. This is where his home team is. You know, he's been on traveling clubs and everything since probably junior high. And so um, so I think he's finally starting to lay some roots down and get settled. And I think that's, you know, you could see some of that in his his, his ability to, to that, uh, you know, improve defensively, which is, you know, hard to make leaps and bounds at this level, you know, if in that regard. So, well, maybe the answer is kind of a hybrid of the two, right? He, he spends time in the minors and if someone gets hurt or goes on the, uh, almost said disabled list, the injured list for seven days or whatever, um, that, uh, Corey Lee can come up and spend uh, a week here, 15 days there in the, in the big leagues and get some experience and get some rest on those young knees, which we want to stay uh, young as long as possible at the catching position. Matt Conkle, it appears that you kicked Christian off so you could talk about Corey Lee. <laughs> I, I, I had enough of it. Like, get off, get off, <laughs> Your take well, on Corey Lee. Well, hey, anytime you have a catcher who projects to be a plus bat, you, you get excited. You know, I, I looked at some of his stats and I've watched some of his videos. You know, he seems to be a guy that hits between uh, 250 and 300 at all his stops in the minors, makes really good contact, and he doesn't have amazing power, but he seems to, he'll, seems like he'll have enough power uh, to be successful in the majors. I guess, I mean, I'll just kind of reiterate some of the things that we were talking about. I mean, for the catcher position, with maybe the exception of some you know, high offense catchers like JT Romuto or, or Will Smith. I, I, for me personally, I, it's, I value more on not what they can offer on the bat, but what they offer behind the plate and anything they have uh, with their bat is, is gravy. You know, I, we were talking about how much we like machete. I guess the flip side, that would be the Yankees got a guy, Gary Sanchez, who has incredible power. And I, I think he's a great bat, but you know, he's been pretty subpar defensively. Absolutely. It doesn't seem to doesn't seem to call uh, pitches to the liking of at least uh, you know Garrett Cole and some other uh, some other pitchers on his staff. So I mean, to me, like that doesn't his production at the plate doesn't outweigh what he does on, as the catcher. And I think the Yankees realize that, and that's why they've been plugging him into the DH more. Um, and then like an example like Machete, like I'm I'm fine with him hitting around the Mendoza line with like 11 or 12 homers and just kind of being you know, a surprise, surprise power guy once in a while, as long as he's just that stalwart defensive guy that calls good pitches and throws guys out. Um, so with Corey Lee this year, it's tough because if the Astros are, com- are competing, it's against, uh, it's, it's, it's counterintuitive to say, let's put in a guy in his first year and try to plug him in as much as you can when you're trying to win. Um, but Heck, if, if he's if he's playing on on Machete's off days and he can he can get opportunities to pinch hit on occasion because it seems like he's got a pretty solid bat and he can learn you know catching from McCullers and Verlander or Presley, I think that'll uh, that'll do only but help his career. And he seems to be the future. He seems to be pro- progressing. I, I expect him to probably be our opening day starter next year or the year after. Who knows? Um, but I, I, it's a little tricky when you're competing. Uh, when's the appropriate time to integrate a, a new young prospect like this? Yeah, that's why I suggested that maybe um, 
maybe they work him in slowly uh, and see if he can handle the rigors. Because really, you don't know if he if he's going to hit any better major league pitching any better than Maldonado's hitting major league pitching, right? Who who the heck knows? Is he going to be a, a two fifty hitter or you know one fifty hitter? Hard to tell until he has an opportunity, but um, I think it's worth a shot. We're going to talk about Christian Javier, but Christian Espinoza internet went out like mine did last week or two weeks ago or whenever it was. So let's get a little bit in about uh, Christian Javier here. Um, I wrote about him some today. Uh, I've got an article on Clementiles Hill coming up in the next day or so whenever he gets posted about five trades the Astros should, uh, excuse me, four trades the Astros should not make whenever the lockout ends. One of those I put on there was Christian Javier. Now, Brian and I talked um, about how everyone says the Astros' uh, starting rotation is full and solid and there's nothing to worry about. we got too many pitchers. Maybe we need to trade Christian Javier for someone in the bullpen. We also earlier talked about how Justin Verlander may not be back next year. Um, and... Um, we Lance McCullers is injured this year. We don't know what's going to come out of Lance McCullers at the end of this year. So I am of the mind, and I think Brian agrees with me here, that the rotation may look a lot different last week, as we talked about on the previous podcast, not next week, next year, as we talked about on the previous podcast. But we don't even know about this year. Starting pitchers um, are, are – uh, not cheap, <laughs> and they're not easy to develop, yet the Astros have one on their staff. It's documented. Javier's a better in the starting role than a relieving role. The Astros have this guy there. Okay, let's say everybody's healthy. Verlander, McCullers, everything's fine. Somebody's going to get injured, right? It's not a matter of if pitchers are going to get injured. It's a matter of when and how long they're going to be out. I'm a, I would be against trading Christian Javier. I think he needs to be a starter. I don't know what that means. Do you trade somebody else? Do you have him sit out and start as needed this year? But it seems like a big waste to me. I'm of the opinion Christian Javier should be a starter with the Houston Astros. How that all comes to be and who gets booted, I don't know, but I don't think they should trade him. That's not necessarily the conversation here. My point is I believe he's a starter and should be a starter and to – Having him in the bullpen is a huge waste, and to trade him would be a waste too. Matt Conkel, your take. Well, I mean, if he's a starter, if he's a starter this year, who who gets bumped out to the to the uh, the bullpen? Is it Urquidy? Is it um, is it Luis Garcia? It seems like. It seems like they, there's a logjam of guys that project to be pretty good, uh, you know, end of the rotation starting pitchers or could be really good long relievers. I think, I mean, that's a good problem for the Astros to have. I personally think Javier has the highest trade value of those other two players that I just mentioned. Um, I think he's got more stuff. I, I mean, personally, yeah, I mean, I don't want the Astros to trade any of those three. I think all those three are great, but if I had to – get rid of one, it, it wouldn't be Javier. Um, I like that he's, uh, yeah, I like that he's shown that he's, he's a good starter and he's got, uh, he's got great velocity. And, you know, I, I, I feel like he raises his level of play 
um, against the better competition. I absolutely wouldn't want to move him, but I, it's, it's tricky what the Astros are going to be going through this year because they're right. going to have uh, JV's back. Uh, we don't know about McCullers. I, I anticipate a, a bounce-back season from Jake Odorizzi. Everyone, please don't hold your breath on that. But I anticipate <laughs> some sort of bounce-back from a terrible season. Um, and then we, we, got, we got our young guys, uh, Framberg, uh, Christian Javier, Urquidy, and Luis Garcia. I mean, it's a good problem for the Astros to have. I'm interested to see what Dusty's take is on how to deploy these guys when they're all healthy or if they're ever all healthy. But I, I think if of those three that I mentioned long-term, I, I would I would grasp more tightly with Christian Javier than I would with Urquidy or, or uh, Luis Garcia, for sure. Okay, here's my semi-hot take. Maybe uh, maybe I should grab the wrong one there. Uh, my semi-hot take, um, and I already forgot it. Um, <laughs> it was it was related to uh, I think you think Jake Odorizzi is going to have a comeback year. I think Luis Garcia is going to uh, regress to the mean. How about that? Uh, I think he's he he can't continue to pitch five and a third innings. He's killing the bullpen. Um, he pitched in some good luck last year. I think. I think he's going to fall back a little bit. I'm sorry we're here to talk about Christian Javier, but I thought about that when you mentioned his name. I'm like, oh, yeah, I got this other take. Oh, Brian Dunleavy, now you on Christian Javier. What's your take? Well, you know, I'm going to first start off with not Christian Javier (laughs) because, as as Matt had mentioned, Depending on when the season starts, I think that's the other question that that remains up in the air. But you know, we have JV back as number one, um, and then McCullers hopefully back when the season starts at number two. But that's that's a question mark. So if if he's not back, I think you have the opportunity for Javier to be a starter. I think that's his only good shot. Is if if somebody's injured and if and if McCullers especially if it's not back that's his that's his chance to to be a starter but the other problem that you have then is you're paying Oda Rizzi all this money and I don't think he makes the rotation you know but then you pay him the money you want him to be in the rotation at the same time right so uh to Matt Matt's point I think the number one trade bait is Oda Rizzi right now I think I think if they had a solid offer once they are you know back into the swing of things and everything's opened up. I think if they got a solid offer from him, uh, for him, um, even if it's a handful of prospects, uh, considering our farm system was poorly, horribly ranked, um, I'd, I'd say t- take it, you know, jump on, on that, that bandwagon. But for, for Javier, I agree, Marty. You know, looking, we talked a little bit about this before, looking at his stats, um, you know, in his relief appearances, uh, I just went through all of his relief appearances towards the end of last season. And I just, you know, cataloged them all. And basically every other relief appearance, he gave up more than one run and couldn't last, you know, maybe an inning, maybe, maybe a little bit longer, but you know, his ERA was in the nines for, um, mm-hmm. for every other relief appearance. And, and you can't do that. And then I looked and I broke it down by team and every team that he gave up runs to were all the competing teams that we're going to face in the playoffs. So I think he has zero value as a relief pitcher, um, you know, you the, you like to have him as a long reliever for the playoffs or, you know, to have, uh, you know, maybe a long reliever if a guy just totally burns out in the first or the first second inning. 
Um, but I don't think he is built for that. I think, you know, there are certain players and pitchers are especially a funny bunch. There are certain players that you throw them into a situation in the middle of the game and they're, they're great and they have no problem with that. Uh, I don't think Javier is that guy. I think he needs the, the getting amped up before the game, pregame prep, you know, get on the mound, um, you know, to start off the game. I think he needs, he needs that kind of preparation mentally to be able to prepare to perform the, the, his, his best. And he has good stuff. Like Matt said, I, he has, he has good stuff. I think he, he has the potential of the ones that we listed. If we, if, if we had a rank potential in order, which is a strange ranking because none of them have pitched really a full, you know, slate of back-to-back seasons. Like we talked about last week, Marty, yep. um, I think you're going to see some sophomore slumping with some of them. Um, and I, and you said Luis Garcia, I think that's, I think that's probably the, the, the best bet. Um, but the question mark is out for all of them for their, really their second real season in a row. If, if we get enough games, if it's not another half season, like we had before, you know, will Urquidy be able to perform for a whole season? Will Garcia be able to perform for a whole season and sophomore slump is real. So he's going to, I think he's regressing. And, and then, you know, Valdez, the same, same question remains. I think Javier's your, your, in that, in that order of things, I'd go Fromber Valdez and then I'd go Javier and then, and then Garcia and Arquiti are, have to prove it. Who's, who's, who's in front of who for this season. And I, I honestly think based on stuff, based on, um, you know, innings and, and, and postseason innings, I personally like Urquidy better than, um, than I like Garcia. I think Garcia had his moments, but I think Urquidy is the more consistent, the more everyday starter than than Garcia is. He can prove me wrong, that's fine, and mm-hmm. Urquidy can prove me wrong the other just as much too that that he's not <laughs> the guy, you know. But you know, based on the the evidence that I've seen. I would rather I'd rather have Christian Javier in there with the potential to be great um, over over those two guys. Yeah, I think we all we all kind of agree and are saying the same thing. It's, just, it's really weird because you're talking about the sophomore slumps and the potential for those, and then there's the two injured guy, right, JV and McCullers, and it, so on the surface it looks like the rotation is just full, but there's a lot of question marks there for me, right? If, if JV was 32 years old, there wouldn't be so many question marks, right? But can McCullers stay healthy for an entire year after he comes back from this injury? Can JV come back at 39 years old after hasn't pitched in like a year and a half? It was July 24th of 2020 since he last pitched in the major league game. And he's not a spring chicken anymore. It was baseball wise, but, um, yeah. All good questions, and um, sorry, Christian didn't get to Christian Espinosa didn't get to chime in, but his internet went down like mine did. But we're gonna call it a show. We're gonna call it a show there, uh, fellas. I appreciate it again, and um, good topics, good conversation. I need to think of a new title for the show because I already used all we need now is baseball, but that's really what we need uh, to keep the conversation going and have things to talk about every. Every every uh, Wednesday afternoon or evening, depending on where you are in the world. But Brian Dunleavy, Matt Conkle, thanks again, and we'll see you next week, hopefully. Sounds good. Thanks, Marty. Right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Juice Box Junkies. 
Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And join us for the next episode of Juicebox Junkies.